Support comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies. Held on select Fridays in May, each film touches upon artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, kicking off with Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro on May 10th at nortonsimon.org. Support for LAist comes from Pasadena Water and Power. Every individual's actions matter in preserving resources. Join the ripple effect to build a more resilient water future. Learn more about water programs, workshops, and ways to save at pwpweb.com slash the ripple effect. It's Air Talk on LAist 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. As a reminder, we have an additional airing of Film Week this week. Because of the Thanksgiving holiday, we've added a broadcast of Film Week tomorrow morning at 10. I'll be joined by critics Peter Rayner, Amy Nicholson, and Charles Solomon. We'll hear what they have to say about Ridley Scott's new movie starring Joaquin Phoenix. Napoleon is the film. Also, the animated movie Wish... We'll talk about the thriller Leave the World Behind, starring Julia Roberts, Mahershala Ali, and Ethan Hawke. American Symphony, a documentary about uh, the terrific musician, composer John Batiste and his life partner. And another music-focused film, but this one, uh, a dramatic narrative film uh, starring uh, Bradley Cooper, who also directs the movie Maestro. Uh, It's a biopic on Leonard Bernstein. So that's all uh, coming up on Film Week tomorrow, 10 o'clock, special additional airing. Still be coming to you on Friday at 10 and Saturday at noon, right here on LAS 89.3. Joining me now is the president of the Rockefeller Foundation formerly the head of USAID, and before that with the Gates Foundation, Rajiv Shaw is author of Big Bets, How Large-Scale Change Really Happens. Dr. Shaw, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Larry, for having me. So uh, share with us, first of all, a little bit about your story, how you ended up in such prominent positions leading these humanitarian efforts. Uh, Your background is in medical training. How did you end up in this? Uh, Well, you know, Larry, I'm a kid from suburban Detroit. My parents are first-generation immigrants from India who came to the United States uh, with educational scholarships but no real resources. And I grew up in that setting, and uh, you know, in that in that world back in the day, if you uh, tested well in school, you were going to be a doctor or an engineer. <laughs> and so I chose doctor. Um, and over time, I started to get more involved in politics and public policy and social impact, and uh, had a few opportunities first to work for Al Gore's presidential campaign, and then for those of your listeners that remember when we didn't quite win that election. Uh, ended up unemployed and then picked up by Bill and Melinda Gates when they were just starting their foundation many years ago. So uh, that's how I got started. And I have to say, I didn't know that would be the path at all when I was younger. What do you mean when you talk about big bets uh, versus incremental projects? Because I think people would think that, that naturally when you're taking off a huge chunk of a social ill or a challenge, that that has to be done incrementally because it's too massive, too expensive to undertake it at one time. What do you mean by big bets? Well, I wrote the book Big Bets because I believe it is realistic to be optimistic about actually solving 
some of the big social and economic challenges we face as a country, as a community, even as a planet. And at the end of the day, a lot of people feel when you're doing uh, good work, charitable work, uh, that just doing a little bit of good is good enough. And that's okay for those that are engaged in, in you know, charitable endeavors. Uh, but there's another way to think about actually solving these problems that I learned really in the beginning from Bill and Melinda Gates when they started their foundation. They wanted to save as many child lives as possible. And we spent years studying the most efficient and effective way to do that. Ultimately, we landed on childhood vaccinations as the way to save the most lives on a global basis. And instead of saying, let's vaccinate as many kids as we can pay for with our money, uh, we said at Bill's insistence, uh, what would it? What is actually needed to make sure that every single child on the planet, born every year, 104 million kids born every year, gets the full complement of vaccines? And uh, we worked on that for 20 plus years. And 20 years later, I can say, 980 million kids have been vaccinated, and 16 million child lives have been saved because of that big bet mindset, and because thousands of people from uh, of organizations around the world came together to make that happen. So how did you raise the funds for that? Because as, as opposed, you said, instead of looking at, well, what are the funds that we can amass to address the problem? Let's instead look at the totality of the problem and, and then figure out how to do it. So how, how was that gap closed? Well, we closed that gap by actually creating an innovative new financing instrument called a social impact bond. And we convinced a group of European governments to come together and issue uh, that bond on behalf of a vaccine alliance. And we said we would pay off that bond, the alliance would pay off that bond as they successfully vaccinated kids. And, and so that instrument allowed us to raise about $6 billion back maybe 17 years ago. And that amount of money allowed us to restructure the way uh, we contracted with vaccine manufacturers so that there was enough product supply at a low enough cost to reach the 70 poorest countries in the world with low-cost vaccines that they could afford to, to deliver to poor children and poor communities. And the reason I tell this story that way is, at the end of the day, big bets are based on unlikely partnerships. And in that case, bringing together vaccine companies and Wall Street bankers to come up with a new way to finance vaccines, which had traditionally just been a humanitarian project of you ask people for charitable contributions and use them to buy vaccines when needed. Uh, that was a different way of thinking. And I found throughout my career that those unlikely partnerships can yield breakthroughs that make amazing things happen. We're talking with Rajiv Shah, who's president of the Rockefeller Foundation, author of Big Bets, How Large-Scale Change Really Happens. So shortly after you're named the administrator of USAID, um, the Haiti earthquake, that incredibly devastating, deadly earthquake strikes, and you're now responsible for USAID response to this. What were some of the things that you did to try and, and get uh, assistance there quickly, but also understanding this was going to be a long-term project? Well, you know, it, that earthquake was really quite extraordinary. It did happen on my first week on the job, and President Obama called me to ask me, it was my first time receiving a phone call from, from the president, to take 
control of that effort and be responsible for America's response, including civilian and military engagements. And, you know, in an instant, almost 200,000 people lost their lives. 21 of 22 ministries had collapsed. The United Nations team on the ground uh, suffered extraordinary casualties that limited their ability to be a leader of the response. And in that moment, America stepped in because it, it was in our moral and strategic interest to do so. We had to demonstrate that a neighbor so close to our shores would be supported by our basic values. And, you know, in that moment, uh, we did everything we could. We created a scorecard to understand how many people were in need of food, of water, of uh, medicine and medical care. We deployed the USS Comfort, a naval hospital ship that did 22,000 surgeries, including some limb reattachments, saving uh, thousands of lives. We uh, were feeding more than 3 million people uh, very quickly. And we had distributed enough clean water in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, that six months after the earthquake, the rate of diarrheal illness was actually lower than it was the day before the earthquake. So, you know, by being data-driven and uh, and open to new ideas, we were able to mount the largest humanitarian response the world had seen to that point. Even if then Vice President Biden was skeptical about you. <laughs> well, I tell, the story funny. The <laughs> I tell the story in the book. I was young. I was mid-30s, and I'd just gotten this you know, job, and I, was, uh, I had a plan, but the plan was disrupted by the earthquake. And, and I tell the story the first time I had to brief the president, the vice president, and the team in the Oval Office. I got to the Oval a little bit early because you, know, you certainly don't want to be late. And uh, they let me in, and the president and the vice president were talking, and I overheard Biden tell Obama, uh, are you sure about putting this Raj Shah guy in charge? He's, you know, he's young, he's new to town. We have these other folks who are far more experienced. And Obama saw me and walked over and said, Raj, come in <laughs> you know, right away before he could answer the question. But it opened my mind to the basic idea that if I, were, if I was going to be successful in that role, I had to create uh, an openness to working with others. And I walked out of that Oval Office holding hands with the head of the Federal Emergency Management Agency, who did have decades more experience than I did. And I said, his name is Craig Fugate, a great American uh, leader and public servant. And I said, Craig, can we do this together? And he sure enough said, I'll spend the next month, if I need to, in your office, helping you through every step of the way. And he did that. And it shows me that at times of, of real crisis and at times of real moral purpose, People will do extraordinary things to be part of teams that are saving lives, making a difference, and you know, demonstrating what our values are all about. Did, did you ever bring it up to uh, the now president, former vice president, that you heard that? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I didn't back then. We, we ended up collaborating on a lot of great things. And as vice president, uh, Biden was incredibly generous and supportive of my leadership and my, my role, and I consider him a mentor and and protector uh, in town. So I was grateful to be a part of his team. We're talking with Rod Shaw, who is the president of the Rockefeller Foundation, author of Big Bets, How Large-Scale Change Really Happens. We'll continue our conversation with him, much to talk about, as well as an effort launched by the foundation to create a community of big bettors on change. We'll also talk how, about how this might apply 
in a highly partisan environment, because one of the things that Dr. Shaw describes is an ability, even working in a Democratic administration, to, through considerable expenditure of, of time and effort, to build bridges with Republicans to get things done. We'll talk about the changing world in Washington, whether that's something achievable today. We'll be back in a minute. Rockefeller Foundation President Rajiv Shaw is with us, author of Big Bets, How Large-Scale Change Really Happens. Raj, uh, how do you see Washington today compared to when you were serving the Obama administration ahead of USAID, and uh, despite skepticism of Republicans, you were able to forge some some bipartisan support and agreement. Is that still possible in D.C.? Well, I do think it's still possible. You know, every generation looks at Washington and says uh, everything's falling apart, and the bi- and the lack of bipartisanship is uh, at an all time high. And certainly, when we served, there were government uh, shutdown threats and. Uh, all kinds of uh, noise that you would read about in the press and would get amplified on cable TV. It's probably amplified more today than it was then, but it feels quite similar. Uh, when I served, you know, one of our major efforts was to respond to the food crisis that globally that had been caused by the financial crisis of 2008. And uh, that food crisis had caused almost 47 different episodes of political violence and up, upheaval around the world. And so in trying to address that, we constructed a large-scale effort to move people out of poverty, to make sure communities had food and nourishment, and to do that in a sustainable way. Um, But the whole thing was threatened when when we lost the House in 2010, and the first Republican budget actually zeroed out my agency, USAID, and would have shut down that program. Uh, And that's when I confronted a tremendous amount of uh, partisan challenge. Well, and even your testimony to Congress, um, you, you describe how challenging that was, was not well received. And so it, it, that seemed like it, it sort of spurred you to go out and to build those bridges. Well, yes, and uh, with some encouragement. So I, I, I marched up to Capitol Hill and I testified in front of all of my budget committees, and I said that the Republican budget would, would effectively kill 70,000 kids. And I had done my math uh, and had confidence in that number based on shutting down some of these humanitarian programs. And when I got back to my office, I got some notes of congratulations for being kind of tough and uh, aggressive. Uh, but I then got a phone call from a friend who said, you know, I was just with the Speaker of the House, Speaker Boehner at the time, uh, and he was uh, upset about your comments because he has spent a long time building conservative Republican support for America's humanitarian role around the world, and you uh, were not respectful about that. So I went up and I saw him. I apologized, and he gave me a list of people. His office gave me a list of people to then visit with. And over the next six months, I, I instead of trying to kind of fight the politics, I actually just invested time in getting to know conservative Republican members of the House and Senate. We traveled together. We went to their home districts. Uh, In some cases, we sat in their offices, held hands, and prayed together. And 
what I learned was, uh, even though they had a politics that was very, very different than our administrations, uh, some of them had an extremely genuine and authentic commitment to America's role as the world's humanitarian leader. And that ultimately left, led to my joining the Senate prayer breakfast. Uh, I was invited to give the keynote address at something called the National Prayer Breakfast. And uh, after a few years, we passed the second largest piece of global humanitarian legislation uh, in our recent history called the Global Food Security Act that allowed America to move almost 100 million people out of hunger and suffering through our humanitarian actions in food and agriculture. And, and that act, by the way, has been renewed twice, including recently around the Black Sea Grain Initiative, which is part of an effort to reduce suffering that's caused by the war in Ukraine uh, and by Russia. And it's been renewed on a bipartisan basis both times under Democratic and Republican presidents. So I'm a believer that when you get to know people, the chapter title uh, in the book Big Bets is called Make It Personal, because the lesson I learned is instead of fighting politically, if you get to know people personally and deeply, you can get a lot more done. We're talking with the president of the Rockefeller Foundation, Rajiv Shah, author of Big Bets, How Large-Scale Change Really Happens. With climate, it's a massive undertaking to try and uh, reach net zero greenhouse gas emissions, and it involves a lot of trade-offs. When we're talking about vaccinating all children born in a given year, it's a huge undertaking and and obviously requires a tremendous movement. But it, it's with climate, there are very clear trade-offs, even with something that is as beneficial as solar power, a large-scale solar has environmental challenges packed into that. So how do you how do you see big bets applying to something as complex as environmental policy? Well, the world desperately needs big bets in the context of global climate policy. Uh, the Biden administration's efforts to reshape the American economy to be more green constitute a big bet. The Chinese have made a similar big bet in their own domestic economy, and Europe has done effectively the same thing in the European Union. Uh, what's missing, though, is a big bet that recognizes that in 80 countries around the world that are lower income or emerging economies, they are still building coal plants, they are burning heavy fuel oils, and they are depending on diesel generators for power and electricity, their populations are growing and their energy demand will account for 75% of future carbon emissions if we don't act now. And so our big bet at the Rockefeller Foundation is an effort to make sure that renewable energy technology is not just available to everybody in the wealthy parts of the world, but is available globally to these 80 countries that house three and a half billion people who live in energy-constrained environments. They're called the world's energy poor. And by reaching them with renewables, we hope to displace coal, we hope to displace heavy fuel oil, we hope to displace diesel generators that are dirty, expensive, and, and causing the pollution that will undermine the entire global climate fight. Real quickly, we have about uh, 45 seconds left. Briefly tell us about the community network that's been launched four big betters coming out of, out of this uh, same mindset as the book? Well, if, if you are someone who wants to make large-scale change happen on climate, on poverty, on racial justice, or any issue in your community in which you're passionate, we at the Rockefeller Foundation feel you should have a home where you can meet other 
like-minded individuals, learn about opportunities, and access the tools and resources needed to become a change maker. And so we invite you to join our Big Bets community. You can do so on our website at rockfound.org. And uh, we already have thousands of, of members from across the country. And we hope to start a movement of, of young people, uh, middle, middle career professionals and retirees, all, right. all of whom that want to come together and make the world a better place. Raj, have- thanks. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Rajiv Shah, president of the Rockefeller Foundation and author of the new book, Big Bets. It's Air Talk on LAS 89.3. Much more to come in the second hour. I'll tell you about it in a moment. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.